The Healing Lives Center is a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation and has the critical mission to strengthen that which God created and values, marriages and the nuclear family. Dr. Gilbert, your host, aims to provide important teaching on tough topics, great interviews and conversations, and tools just for you, all emphasizing a biblical worldview. Join us now with today's feature. Welcome to the Family Features Podcast. My name is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and today I have the honor to interview and talk to, have a conversation with Xane Anderson. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm so glad to be on the podcast today. Thank you. Yes, looking forward to this conversation and the different the variety that you're going to actually be able to bring to our audience when it comes to just family, um, work, and how do we do this as as believers even? How do we love our families well? So looking forward to this. Tell us a little bit about your story and just kind of how you ended up where you're at. Oh, goodness. Um, well, you know, there's a lot <laughs> of different factors that come into to that. Um, I, I guess one of the things, when I was young, my mom died. And I know that little things that she did before she died, how they profoundly affect me today. Mm-hmm. And I felt recently that I just need to share how, how important it is um, to be a good dad, be a good parent, to, to take care of our families because of the, one, some of the little things she did that still so profoundly affect me today. And I can tell you more about that, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. And that's huge to think about how... Uh because you were young like how old well i'll tell you i was i was if you want i'll tell you a quick story here i was eight years old Mm -hmm. um and i'll let me let me back up just a little bit when i was eight years old i used to like to draw trees Mm -hmm. and i'd draw them if if you can imagine i'd draw every little branch i'd draw Mm -hmm. the little twigs i'd draw the little leaves even the veins in the leaves and you can imagine a tree with maybe a dozen of individual leaves and branches drawn i went to see how the other kids drew trees and and I, well, I went to school and I saw how the other kids drew trees. They drew them with, you know, kind of two lines, and a little poofy cloud on top. And when I saw how the other children drew trees, I stopped drawing them the way I, I used to. And I started drawing them the way the other children did. Mm-hmm. I found out later that when my mom saw this, that she shed a tear. I mean, she, she cried. She really cried. You can, you can understand why. Well, fast forward several years, a few years anyway, I was at a at a little league game I played and by the way I was kind of pathetic you know I there's a couple ways to to do little league you can either be good and actually hit the ball if you were pathetic (laughs) like I was I just hold the bat out and the ball would hit the bat and fall it's called a bunt as an eight-year-old boy I had one bunt the entire season I was pathetic but I'm not here to tell you how bad I was um something happened after this game when we got done with this game I went home and my mom started complaining of a really bad headache she mm. said it was worse than um childbirth which i haven't experienced you know some of the reviewers may hear but she she complained about a, a headache my dad you know it wasn't typical for my mom to get headaches and my dad became concerned and said i'm going to take mom to the hospital well i remember standing there in the front room of our home and i gave my mom a hug and said i love you and uh, they drove away well, this was a little bit odd. I'd never had this. I was a little bit concerned for my mom. And I went to my uncle who just happened to be visiting us that day. And I went to my uncle and I said, is my mom going to die? And he said, no, she's not going to die. She probably just has a migraine. Just relax. She's, she'll be okay. And I said, do you promise my mom's not going to die? Oh. He said, no, she's going to be fine. And 
I wanted to believe him. I went downstairs and you know, he was well-intentioned. I went downstairs. I climbed up on my bunk bed and started reading this book. I can still remember it. It's a book about squirrels. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I waited for my parents to get home and they didn't get home. Mm -hmm. And I waited. Finally, it was probably, I don't know, two or two or three in the morning. I probably fell asleep. The next morning I woke up, I was a little tired, a little anxious. I, I went out, out to see if I could find my parents. And I, I opened the door to my room and the outside of my room, there's this long family room. And I, I could see, as I opened the door, I could see my dad on the other side of this family room. But something was different. Mm. My mom was not there. Instead, there was a, a neighbor and another neighbor and a friend and a neighbor. It seemed like half the neighborhood was at our home. Mm. And as I got closer, I could see my dad had been crying had tears on his cheeks and I got even closer and my dad kind of gathered the children together and he said, he said words I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. He said, I think our mom is going to leave us. And I put two and two together and I started, I remember I went into this panic and I said, dad, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to say a prayer. What can we do? What can we do? Just kind of panicking. Yeah. Well, my mom had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, a blood mm. vessel in her brain burst. <clears throat> she is now brain dead at the hospital, being kept alive by a life support system. I remember a couple of days later being there. I could see my mom on a hospital bed. She had tubes coming out of her nose. Mm -hmm. She was being kept alive by a, she couldn't breathe on her own, so she had a a respiration system was kind of inflating and deflating her chest in a, a way that seemed really unnatural to me. And I was scared. Mm -hmm. I mean, and um, it came time for them to unplug my mom from the, from the machine. And I remember when she did that she kind of crinkled up and turned bluish. Mm. And uh, I, wa I remember wanting to give her a kiss, mm -hmm. but I was afraid to because she didn't look like my mom. So I went and kind of kissed the air a couple inches from her face and I walked out. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to tell you, when I left, a friend of our family was an anesthesiologist there. He said, you know, your mom went from being crinkled up to where she kind of spread her arms out all by, her, by herself, almost like she was coming into a beautiful place. Um, and you know, my mom died that day mm -hmm. and as an eight year old boy, I watched her die. Mm -hmm. Well, here's my question for you. How do you think I draw trees now? I got to tell you, I draw them the way my mom would want me to, yep. which is the way I see them. Yep. In fact, I've, I've shared this story with audiences many places i'm sharing it with you right now figuratively in this very moment i'm drawing trees the way i see him right right this moment right, right this very second and i felt like um you know i've done some things in the business world but i can tell you the things just that little knowing that my mom wanted me to draw trees the way mm -hmm. i see him mm -hmm. yep that's all i needed to know 
And there's things that I've done and 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 they're affecting her grandkids who she never met that will continue to affect generations for hundreds of years, probably more than that. That that um because of the kind of parent she was, that she's and I could give lots of examples, but it's so important to be a good parent and to realize, you know, what you and I do in business, there's some noble things you can do in business. I'm not trying to discount anybody who's built a business or who's successful or what they're doing, but you've got to realize, give it 10 or 20 years. Most businesses are bankrupted, disrupted, spot sold, totally different than they are today. And they're not going to last that long. Right. But the kind of, the kind of parent you are, goes on for for longer than you can imagine i mean let me give you just one example go ahead generations Sorry. yes go ahead go ahead Ge- many generations i mean let, let me give you just one obvious example and a less obvious example an, an obvious example would be so i live in the united states of america i'll tell you the reason i'm here is because hundreds of years ago more than one of my ancestors decided to get on a boat from europe and come to the united states of america right well, that choice that they made, that one choice, and this mm-hmm. is an obvious example, it affects the language I speak. It affects my economic opportunities, my educational opportunities. Yep. It affects my religion. It affects a ton of things because somebody hundreds of years ago got on a boat and came here. Well, yep. that's an obvious example, but there are other things that are less visible that are just as real. You know, were they patient? Mm-hmm. Were they kind? Were they drunk? Were they... Um, a good keyed in parent or kind of checked out those kind of things too can be passed down for a long time. So true. And, and of course we can change them, but the influence can go on for a really, really long time. And so it's so important that we realize that right now today, you and I and everybody listening, if you have children is raising and influencing people you've never met hundreds from hundreds of years from now. Yep. Your choices today are literally raising people you will and influencing people you will never meet. So what are you doing today? Because those choices are not just going to last today. They're going to last a long time. Anyway. Well, and so the title of your your book, what's the title of your book? Well, I have two. I wrote a business book, but I also wrote one what's called What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die, mm-hmm. which is probably the more important one by exactly. far. Exactly. What I want my children to know before I die, and that and that's actually you attempting to really put on in print lessons and uh, a guidance for them, right? And memories too. I'm I'm sure. That's right. And you know, my mom she did keep she she kept some journals, and I treasure those journals. And yes, she was only 32 when she died, and I think, and I would love to have more of her thinking. Mm-hmm. Love to have a little bit of mom advice from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take the time to write this book for my children so that if something were to happen to me today or tomorrow right. or whenever, they would have something they could say, you know, this is this is how my dad thought about mm-hmm. things and hopefully it would be a benefit to them. Neat. And I think about kind of in the beginning of you sharing that, sharing your personal story, what you shared was about the moment that she died but when you go backwards, it's amazing to think that in just eight years, eight years young of life, how much she had already affected you, changed you, grown, um, developed a, a an imprint on you, which is why this matters 
probably more than we can ever imagine when we focus on business and we focus on money and accomplishing things. This is such a critical part of why we're here and our calling as parents. You're exactly right. I mean, you're right. She had a tremendous impact on me during those first years of my life. I haven't given my mom a hug for over 36 years since she since she I gave her that hug and as she before she left. Yeah. But there's things that are almost as good as giving your mom a hug and it's feeling her influence. Mm-hmm. And I feel it all the time. And it, a lot of the things that she did, the way she treated me, the way she listened, the way a few things that she said, just little comments here or there that took less than five seconds. Yep. I still remember and they profoundly affect me today. So if you're, you know, if you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or stay-at-home parent and you're helping your kids, you may think, well, gosh, I'm not doing anything glamorous in the world. In reality, you're doing something more important that's going to have more effect than anything else. Amen. And we have done a horrible job of discounting that job, like the importance of raising your children, being an influence of your children. It's almost all about go conquer the business world, go conquer the world, or what can I get my accolades versus... Yeah, you got another snotty nose, another dirty diaper, another um, drama from school or whatever else it is with your kids. Our relationship with our children is is imperative. Our influence is imperative. It it is so much. And you know what? Interspersed in those dirty diapers and interspersed in those snotty noses and interspersed in the little school dramas, there are some golden moments that will Mm -hmm. influence your kids for, for a long time. And you're right. We've got it backwards in our world. We think... I mean, let's, let's contrast this for a second. Let's say a CEO is, you know, top, he's the, he's the big shot in his company, gets a lot of attention from other people, positive attention. That company is probably statistically it, it, in 20 years, it likely won't even exist, but right. it might in a different form or be bought or sold or disrupted or something. Right. But right. There's a good chance it won't exist. The, the lifespan of companies is even going down. Right. And I can't remember the exact statistics, but 20 years from now, matter i mean what did he do it for i'm not saying he couldn't have done a great by the way let me let me preface this i'm not saying anything bad about ceos i think ceos contribute a lot there's many good ceos that i know of that are great people they contribute to communities they do great jobs for people lots of good in the world but i am saying that they're they're the lifespan of what they're doing at work has a a shelf life that is much much less than what they're going to do in their own homes with their children and sometimes we think, well, I'm going to go work for, be away for 50 weeks a year so I can go conquer the world. And then we realize, you know, Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said a lot of people climb the, the ladder to success mm-hmm. and they get up to the top mm-hmm. and they realize the ladder was leaning on the wrong wall. <laughs> now I'm this hotshot CEO, but my family life is in shambles. My kids don't know me and my, my wife wants to divorce me or we have a really, really rocky strained marriage, but I've got a, I've got a ton of money. Yeah. Well, the truth is we all go out of here with exactly the same amount of money. We all, we leave it all behind. Yeah. What kind of legacy did we really leave? Yeah. Well, I remember a dad I was talking to a long time ago. He, he um, was trying to build a house for his family. He was a construction guy. And so he had, the means, but also the 
like that was his job. And I remember at one point going, he was a brand new believer. And I was like, you're trying to build something for your kids. His two sons were like, I think eight and 10 that by the time you have it, they're probably going to be gone and they're missing you. They want you. You're not present because you're working like to the death almost for something that in your mind, you're right. This could be a nice, they don't need or want that. They want you be present. That's exactly right. Our time with our children is so short. Mm -hmm. It goes so quickly. And the time is the valuable thing. It's not the things we give them. Some, some people want to, some, you know, it's not what we give them monetarily. It's not what we give them in, in terms of physical goods. It's those moments. Yeah. So valuable. Yep. Yep. I know just right before we got on this call, I was upstairs with my middle son. He's, he's leading the court of honor on Monday night at our boy scout troop. And so we're working on the script for who says what, who does what and all that. And um, it's his first time to lead it. And he's a, this assistant senior patrol leader and just kind of neat to watch him start taking on that where our older son's done it before. And, um, and then later today, we'll, we'll probably go get our Christmas tree. Um, so go cut awesome. a Christmas tree down as a family. And, but the problem now is our oldest has a job. So timing of when he's available and be able to all go is hard. And I mean, there's life, there's stages and it's changes are hard. And so our daughter is actually grieving that it's like, uh, but we all have to be there. We all have to be there. And she values that family being there as a family, but things do change and the investment we have in our kids. Now, something that you, when I was kind of getting to know you a little bit, um, that you made the comment and it kind of stood out to me. And I think it's important for us to talk about is you said you are the CEO of your children's education. What does that mean? You are the CEO of your children's education. Such a great question. Thanks for asking. So here's the, here's, I was talking to my, my brother mm -hmm. and my brother, he got a degree from Harvard actually in, in education. And whenever we talk, we both really like to talk about education. And, and as we were talking, you know, one of the comments he made, he, he said, the best outcomes come mm -hmm. for education when parents act like the CEOs of their kids' education. Now, as, as you're a father, I'm a father, there's fathers listening to this, mothers listening to this. You know, I think it's important to realize that you're the CEO. We're not just going to pawn it off to the next, whoever's the closest, most convenient thing. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't use a good public school, if we decide to do that, you know, as a CEO, I may decide to outsource to a public school. I may decide to outsource to a private school or to a charter school. I may decide to outsource to a karate teacher or to a Chinese tutor or to a violin teacher. Yep. And I may decide to homeschool because I see, I, you know, I can do this better than I think I could outsource it because I have the time and resources. But the point is, is that we're not asleep at the switch, just letting our kids being raised by the nearest government run school and not to say anything bad about some government, some, some government run schools are great. Some of them may be lacking in some areas, Yeah. but I'm as a CEO, I can say, look, I'm going to do this myself or I'm going to outsource it. If I outsource it and they're not meeting the criteria that mm -hmm. I want to instill in my kids, I have a right to say, 
I'm going to get a different supplier. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to fire you, frankly. I mean, and then we're going to get somebody else. Now, the other thing too, that was really interesting. I got to tell you, I, um, one of the things I was talking about with my brother, this, this goes along the same, uh, kind of the same vein here. We were talking about what is the most effective way to teach somebody. Like if you had no limit on money, if you had no limit on resources, mm-hmm. how would you teach in the best, most effective way? And as we were talking, we came up with this, this idea. What if you could just follow around the person that you really wanted to be like? Like, let's, let me give you an example. In the business world, let's say you could follow around. Let's say you wanted to be a hedge fund manager because they make a ton of money. In fact, I think they're the highest paid people in the world, actually. <laughs> so you want to be a hedge fund manager. So you said, okay, right now, the current system is you'd have to go to school, get really good grades, do phenomenal on a GMAT test at some point, and get in hopefully to an Ivy League school. Then you'd probably have to work a couple decades at least, put in your dues, and at some point, you might, if you're lucky, be able to become a hedge fund manager. But what if you could do it differently? What if you could say, I'm just going to follow around the best hedge fund manager in the world. Mm-hmm. I could sit next to him. And I could see when he bought things and when he sold things. And I could see, you know, how he handled his business, how he, what he said on the phone to people, mm-hmm. how he hired and fired the criteria he used to hire for his, his fund. And, and I, I could see everything he did. And I just followed him around. Do you think that you could learn more quickly if you could see like day to day what this guy is doing to make billions of dollars. Okay. I think you probably could. And I thought, you know what? I think that might be the best way to learn. Well, after this conversation with my brother, I'm sitting there at a stoplight and I had this, this epiphany hit me. I thought, you know what? The best way to teach people has been around for thousands of years. It's called parenting. We get little people who want to be like us. Mm-hmm. They want to be like us and they follow us around and they get to learn from, from us. Yeah. Now this is a huge responsibility. And I, I got to go one step further. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> one years ago, I was working as a, as a, as a real estate agent for a major home builder and things were really slow. It was after that crash back in uh, about a decade and a half ago. Okay. And, and, uh, during that crash anyway, so not quite that long ago, but close. Anyway, they didn't have any sales. And it, at some point they they sent us out two and two to knock on apartment doors to see if we could get some people to sell homes. Long, that's another story. But anyway, <laughs> I remember they'd sent us out to, and I remember knocking on this door. And again, I had a, a, another agent there with me. And a little kid came to the door and this kid said, my mom told me to tell you that she can't come to the door because she's in the bathroom. <laughs> and then from behind and from behind the door, the mom, who obviously was not in the bathroom, <laughs> said, okay, okay, sweetheart, shut the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so at first I laughed. I thought, you know, this is a funny story. Here's this kid telling us that her mom's in the bathroom. She's done. But as I thought about it later, I thought to myself, you know, it just sound kind of funny. But I also thought it's a little bit sad. In fact, quite a bit sad because I don't think that that mom got up that morning and said, today, I am going to use the very most effective way to teach people, my example, mm-hmm. to teach my daughter to lie. Yep. Bingo. I don't think she said that. I don't think she got up and said, okay, I got this on my check. So I'm going to teach her to lie today. Right. She just, 
But she did. She said, look, if you don't really want to talk to someone, and I don't blame people for not wanting to talk to someone knocking on the door, but if you don't <laughs> want to talk to someone, it's okay to yeah. But she did. She taught her using the best way that, you know, instead of just saying, hey, you know, if I'm going to show you that it's okay to tell people, hey, I'm not interested or whatever it is. She was she was doing that. So I think these little tiny decisions that people make, yes. if we could be more self-aware that we have people, watch, our little our little children watching us. Yes. And that's good news and it's bad news because sometimes we blow it, right? I mean, sometimes we say and do things that we shouldn't do. At the same time, if we can be keyed in to say like, wow, this is a really big, this is a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, those teaching moments are everywhere and they're in places you wouldn't expect. And I feel like I know because my mom was there one day and gone the next, mm-hmm. I can tell you stuff she did that she probably didn't realize was, a, she didn't think it was a big deal. Right. That's a, that's a huge deal to me. Yep. I think it's a great example. I think we miss a lot, but one of the best gifts we can even give our kids is as we're going through the day and going through life is also to be someone to say, you know what? I made a mistake and I'm please forgive me. And to admit yep. that it's okay to make a mistake because there are things that we do that we don't mean to give them um, that path. So we need to kind of fess up and go, hey, that's not what I want for you. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? I love that. Yeah. You can model it and say, look, you know, I messed up. Yeah. Can you forgive me? And you can show them that it's okay that, to say, you know what? When you mess up, correct it. Right. And, and be it's okay. Yeah. Because you're shut, That example, though, of the I didn't wake up with the plan to teach my kid to lie, that's a really good picture. It's like a lot of what we're teaching is not intentional, which I think should be scary. We need to see they're watching everything. So what kind of person are you in this setting? What kind of person are you when you're pulled over by the the police? What kind of person are you when um, you get a letter from the IRS or whatever else? Like how how do you handle conflict or... Um, you didn't get promote get promoted when you were supposed to get promoted and on and on and on. And so you're exactly right. If we, if we can, if we can really work on ourselves, you know, it's kind of that mm-hmm. cast the mode out of your own eye first, like work as hard as you can on becoming the best version of you mm-hmm. so that your kids can see this version of you and they can, they'll adapt it. I mean, the truth is they're going to adapt. The, they're going to learn a lot from however you're acting. So take the time to do the things that are important to keep yourself being the best version of you. I mean, yeah, we could talk about that. Well, and you, uh, and I'm not about being selfish. I'm talking about being unselfish, like be the best version of you. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Such a good point. When we were talking about is being the CEO of your children's education, which is what kind of led to us talking about this. So going back to the education part, I like what you said. It's like, we can outsource this. Some have to, some you're in a a situation where you need to, but the failure there often is the parents literally send off the kid and is their hands off. They're not involved. And what you said, your, your brother found out or discovered was when parents are involved. So whether, no matter what you're doing for school, the involvement of the parent is what changes the outcome. That is a key, key factor, I believe. That's exactly right. And you, and if you can think of yourself as literally the CEO, meaning mm-hmm. my kid's education, whether it fails, is not up to the school. I'm not going to blame the school. 
I'm not going to blame the church. I'm not going to blame somebody else down the road or the government. I'm going to literally say, you know, the buck stops with me. That's my important. kids. If I get a, my kids get to get an education, it's my fault. If they don't, it's my fault. But I'm what I'm going to do is try to to do the very best I can. Mm -hmm. And that let me just give you an example here too. Yeah. One of the things that my brother and I were talking about, he said, you know what? The number of turns in a conversation. So some people are really nervous to homeschool. For example, they say, mm -hmm. well, I don't know if I can do that. Let me tell you one of the things that should give them a little bit of comfort. Mm -hmm. Intelligence is linked, uh, and I, I don't know the name of the study. I wish I did, but there was a study that said that it's linked to um, the number of turns in a conversation. So if your child comes to you and says, hey, dad, I'm working on this algebra problem, and I just don't understand how to do slopes in algebra. Mm -hmm. And then you say, well, what don't you understand? That was one turn in the conversation. And then they say, well, dad, look at this. It says it's M, Y equals MX plus B. What is the M equal? There's another turn. And then it goes back to you and you say, well, I know that M is the slope and I know that the B is the Y intercept or whatever it is. And you can go through and you can say, and as you go back and forth, you know, those number of turns that go back and forth, that's what creates the neural pathways and the, and the, mm -hmm. and the intelligence. So a lot of times in schools, you're sending your children off to school and you have a sometimes teachers who are great, and sometimes you have teachers who are less than great. And, and a lot of times there's no turns in the conversation. They're just kind of, they're talking and some of the kids are listening and some of them are drifting out and there's no turns. And sometimes as a homeschooler, by be being willing to say, okay, well, what do you understand? Mm -hmm. Let's sound out this word or let's talk about history or let's talk about this math problem. And you're going back and forth. You may have triple the number of turns in an hour yep. that they might get at school the whole day long. So and true. so if you're trying to say, hey, look, I'm going to homeschool because I feel like I know my kids well enough that I can do this. Take a little faith in knowing that if you can have those conversations and go and, and even if you say, well, let's look it up or I don't understand this. Either. Let's see if we can find it on YouTube or something yep. where you could um, help that those turns of the conversation can be very valuable. And oftentimes you can help uh, educate your kids um, quick, more quickly than you would think. Right. And that's, I never thought about that in terms of the turns. I like that, that picture of that, um, the, the turns And where I see, we homeschool our kids and we're a part of a homeschool community. But one of the things that I see with a lot of homeschool families is they're trying to duplicate the school system. And it's like, no, this is different as in there is the chance to go way deeper or wow, we're stuck here. We don't have a classroom that we have to hold hostage because one person stuck, which happens a lot. Instead, we can actually really focus in on this because it's just that one kid and you're able to get go stay there like in algebra until you get it. Uh, yesterday, we were working on a problem upstairs, um, prepping our oldest for the ACT. And so he's learning how to do this. And he was so mad because he's like, I already know how to do this. This help is making it worse. Um, and my wife was like, well, this is just, these are tools. You decide whether you pick them up or not. Um, I had no clue what was going on. It was Pythagorean theorem stuff. Sorry, that was too long ago. But mm -hmm. what's been cool is my wife and her growing and her, you know, maturing even just, she's loving it, learning. That's not everyone's bent. It definitely isn't. And I hear it from tons of clients I have, um, especially teenagers, where all these subjects are just stupid. One of the benefits of homeschooling potentially is you can 
use different sources and go back to the sources and read books that are more of the original stories and biographies mm -hmm. and make it a lot more alive and a lot more living versus kind of this dead content. It doesn't always work that way. There's stuff that we just have to do, like some of the math stuff. Um, but we don't know what's going to land to spark interest and passion and curiosity in them, which is kind of what the whole liberal arts kind of world, which I'm a college professor, so I'm very passionate about that. Mm -hmm. um, the goal is to create a well-rounded, deep-thinking person, not you know, an inch deep and, you know, no, no actual skills or tools or ability to pivot. It's really back to those turns as an adult. Can I have those turns? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the other thing that's, that is interesting is like, who knows your children better than you and your wife? I mean, who knows, who knows them better? Are you really, do you really want to hand it off to someone? You could. Let, let me just give you an example. I know that I am not the best person to teach my kids how to swim. Okay. So <laughs> there, was a, there was a, I'm okay. But there was a, the person in our kind of a, near our neighborhood who was a really good swimmer. And we decided to say, okay, we're going to put them in swim lessons. I went there and, and they learned very, very quickly how to. So I decided as the CEO that I was going to outsource to this swim teacher. Nice. Okay. Yep. And that worked really well. On the other hand, I actually do like math. And I think I'm pretty good at explaining it. So for, for my kids, I'm like, okay, for me, I'm going to do a lot of the math because I like that. Nice. Um, I, we, we have, uh, you know, we've outsourced our kids. We want them to learn a different language. So we've outsourced it to a, to a, a school that will allow them to learn a separate language, which I'm not as good at, but nice. could we, Great. so, so it's not like you necessarily have to take the whole thing on. The important part is that you with your, you know, your stewardship as a dad who knows your kids better than anyone, who knows what's best for them, who loves them and cares for them, take that role and say, you know what? I'm going to find a way to help you achieve. And it, and it comes down to me because I'm your dad and I'm going to teach you using the best way that I can teach, which is by my example, which hopefully I won't blow it too many times, right? <laughs> and, yep. and, and teach you that way. So, um, yeah. When I told my oldest recently, I was, we were talking, we we're on a trip together and I said, what I hope you discover at some point later, probably in your twenties or even later, is that the decisions that I made for you were extremely intentional. They were very much on purpose. The certain boundaries that I put or the things that I didn't let you do, you're not going to understand it now. And I understand that. And I'm sorry, but I hope one day you will. But you may not. You might hold this over, you know, over my head the rest of your life. And I hope not. But I'm hoping that you will, one day you'll see that my wife and I are a team and we're doing this strategically, not haphazardly. That's a very different model than a parent that is basically outsourcing and they're not being the CEO. The buck doesn't stop with the parent because what they end up doing is just complaining about everything. Blaming the school, blaming the church, blaming this system or that system or this teacher. No, right. I'm the, it ends with me. And it starts with me, it ends with me. I love that CEO mentality um, that you're talking about. That's so if, helpful. If every parent would say, my kid's education is up to me. Yep. Doesn't mean you're the, doesn't mean you're the best doing it, but you're, nope. you take that level of responsibility. 
you would, I think things would be, uh, there would be a lot better outcomes than we're seeing now when it's just like, well, it's the school's job to educate or somebody else's job or, or, you know, just pine it off. It's not, I mean, God gave us our children for a reason. That's my opinion. When I had a question last night in one of my classes, um, uh, one of the students asked, what about these single moms who are working three jobs trying to just make ends meet? And they're very absent with their kids. The question that came to my mind as he was kind of unpacking this question was, yes, there are some, probably a lot, that really literally are just trying to make food and rent. And my, hat, there are some, my hat's off to those single moms yeah. who are trying their hardest. Good for them. Yes. Yeah. But there are some, probably too many of them, that are trying to give their kids something that they didn't have that the kid would probably rather their mom over whatever it is that the mom is trying to make up for, or they're trying to make up for something that they feel like the kids are missing out on, like not having the dad. And so they're trying to give them things. So stuff or a nicer place to live or a bigger place to live or a school that in the end I go, you know what? The kid wants you in the end they would probably give up that special team or having that nice bike to have you. Well, let me first of all say this. my To any single mom out there who is trying their best to give their good, kid a good life, my hat's off to him. And I realize there are circumstances that I don't understand yep. in every situation that are different. And so for any single moms out there who are working hard for the family, good for them. That said, I think you're right. I think that a lot of people, a lot of, um, and I know people, and I won't name any names, even people who are close to me who said, you know what, I would so much rather have had my father there yeah. or my parent there than to have extra stuff. Right. And I think if you can see that precious time where they really, really want to be around you. Cause I tell you that time, that time ends, they grow up and they, they don't want to be around you as much. Right. I mean, it just, it starts happening in the teenage years. Even yeah. we have this precious little time. So for those people who are trying to juggle and support their families, whatever family situation it is good for them. Wow. Keep, keep trying. But I say, as you, as you balance those priorities, like you're saying, maybe balance them and say, you know what? maybe I'm okay having a few less things or I can drive a little bit less nice car. We can live in a little bit smaller house yep. because I want to spend time with you, my precious child, my precious children, because this is a time that won't last. Right. And it's so important. Which so I agree. I, so yeah, thinking up. of Christmas, what do you, what should be under that tree? I love some of the lists I've seen over the years of, uh, and let your kids kind of pick through and talk through it. And it should be a family conversation. But do you want stuff? They're always going to say yes to some extent. But it's very different than experiences. Yeah. Like instead of just stuff, what about tickets to a concert or tickets to a play or a trip here? Or, hey, let's mom and dad or mom and a child or dad or a child's going to go you know, go do this overnight thing here or go play this game there or something together experience is going to be much more valued over time than another game, another video game or another toy or another this, that or the other. We started investing in our family with our kids from a young age 
in uh, camping equipment because we're a very sure. outdoors family. And so from a young age, they're getting a sleeping pad for Christmas and they're getting, you know, a backpack and that kind of stuff. The crazy parts that keep changing in sizes, which is so annoying. They <laughs> shoes outgrow, coat you outgrow. And so this year we're realizing we need all new winter gear. Um, and that stuff gets expensive. So trying to find it at Goodwill, but, um, yeah, the experiences yeah. to me is a big deal versus the stuff your kids might say they want the stuff, but in the end, it's going to be what you can do with them. Adventures you can take with them. Um, yeah, I know for us a, as a value, as a family, we live extremely far away from all of our extended family, like a five day drive uh, far away. And so our value has been road trips. And so we ended up getting a car that we knew could handle it. Um, and we've put a hundred thousand miles on that sucker just in the last few years doing those road trips. But then it was also our mortgage had to be able to be such that we could handle to pay for those road trips. So a number of years wow. ago, our, my income went down a little bit and within three weeks we had our house put on the market. We're like, we're not going to let the house hold us hostage. We want to have the bandwidth to do what we value. And so we sold the house in a matter of weeks, moved to a different place and we had the bandwidth to keep having those road trips. And so talking to your family, one of the things we've done around the dinner table a couple of times a year is kind of a whiteboard and how do you define our family? And it's neat to see that some of those values we've instilled in them is they know that we go to church. That's a non-negotiable that we are have a relationship with the Bible and that we, we that's an important part of us that we mm -hmm. serve people. But a lot of it's also been that we do stuff that's outdoors, that we go see family because they can't come see us as easy. You know, what are your values? That's also being, I like the term there being the CEO guiding your family, leading your family. I love that. And I love that. Two thoughts came to mind when you said that. Thanks for sharing that. You know, the other couple of years ago, my wife and I decided to take our kids on a road trip and we have a little tent trailer mm -hmm. and we loaded up the car and put our tent trailer on. And, and in 24 days, we went through 30 states and saw a bunch of all kinds of sites, historical sites, all kinds of things. Nice. Had some great conversations in the car. And I got to tell you, my mom, my, excuse me, my wife, when I first taught, said, let's go on this trip, she she came from a family where they didn't do very many road trips. And she was like, I don't want to be in the car that long. And I kind of still kind of said, well, let's let's just try it. It was, fun. It was <laughs> interesting because when we pushed back for a while, mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, by the way, I'm married to an angel. She's awesome. That <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But what happened? <laughs> but it was interesting because when we got to the end of this trip, um, she now wants to go and do another one. She goes, that was so awesome. She Yay. said, oh, let's, let's do another one. And, um, and it, it's so valuable to have those times in the car where you can talk about things, you can see the historic sites, you can see other kinds of sites. And it was a really, really, in fact, at the end of the trip, I started crying because I knew it was about to be over. Yeah. And I thought, which about experience. Um, here's another thing. You know, it's one of the things that's so valuable for your kids. We're talking about CEOs of kids, mm -hmm. kids education. I was just talking to another gentleman the other day and he, he let me know the statistic. He said, you know, kids who get F's in school, they read less than a minute outside of school per day. 
They said kids who were getting about a C in school read about nine or 10 minutes, I think it was. Wow. And kids who are getting an A minus in school read about 19 or 20. So just getting your kids to read 20 minutes a day could bring them from, you know, it's correlated with being from an afternoon. Oh, One of the things I did with my... Go ahead. Sorry. Now that's huge. That's a big deal. That's not a lot of time at all. <laughs> not a lot of time. And that experience, you know, I one of the things, gosh, if you want to read some good books, read the Chronicles of Narnia with Amen your kids. To that. I got to tell you, I, it's, when they're running around about seven, eight, nine years old, they love it. It's magical. You can yeah. talk about things. There's a lot of good symbolism in there. And I was reading it to my daughter actually last night, and like she's getting excited about what's happening in the story. Such a good thing. And just reading is a great experience. I mean, just sitting down on the couch and reading together. And it, it also helps build those neural pathways. So you're talking about, you know, you, you mentioned scriptures and things. Getting up in the morning, reading your scriptures together as a family is mm -hmm. one of the best things you can do to help build values. But also, yeah. it actually helps. There's this side blessing to it, which is it actually <laughs> helps them. Um, become better readers, much, much better readers, better, better academically just by doing that on a daily basis. Yeah. It's interesting to watch kids who always carry a book with them everywhere they go versus mm -hmm. the kids that, again, haven't looked at a book, you know, haven't read. I heard a stat recently that said that um, the average American leads, le reads less than one book a year. Like right. why, we have like bookcases that climb the wall. Like we have books everywhere. Our life is all about books. My wife and I both have piles of them right here to realize that's not normal. That too, too normal is even a mom and dad that doesn't read. So why would the kids ever read again? They're catching what so, we do. And if we don't touch the Bible, they won't. If, if we aren't reading, they're not going to. So being willing to put your devices down, turn off the TV, put the phone down, yeah. put the tablet down, put the, put the computer somewhere else. Just spend time. Read with your kids. Yeah. A little, I mean, even if it's just 20 minutes here or there, consistently over time is going to make a huge difference. Yeah. I got to share one more thing that just came to my mind. One more yeah. one other thing that might, and I give a lot of credit to my brother because a lot of the suggestions he's given to me have been really phenomenal. He said to me, you know what? There's this book called The Power of Positive Parenting by Glenn Latham. Mm -hmm. And it's a phenomenal book. It's a book about parenting. And it basically has this premise. It says behaviors are like seeds mm -hmm. and attention. You know, if you can imagine, I had a picture of water in my hand here. I water the behaviors that I want to see grow mm -hmm. with attention. Well, have you ever seen a parent? The parent walks in and says, well, I can't believe you stayed out till three in the morning last night. You didn't make your bed. You're getting a C minus in math and, and you're playing too many video games. Well, what's that parent inadvertently doing? They're they're actually watering they're watering with attention the behaviors they don't want to see grow, mm -hmm. and they're actually making it more likely that those behaviors will occur. If one of the things that changed the way I parented, and I, I was lucky that my brother recommended this book many years ago, was find catch your children doing something right, like mm -hmm. really be keyed in what they're doing right and give them attention for it. And you'll actually notice, and the premise, the research even showed this, is that the the bad behaviors will kind of um, fall away. Right. As not, not to, you, you just, as the, the best way to get rid of problem behavior is to focus on the good behavior. <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Yes. And so 
You know, um, I, I'm not good at this all the time. I'll tell you, I've blown it. My wife can tell you, I've blown it many times. But there's one. There's been a few times I've done it right. One time, my 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 daughter came and knocked on our door, and she said, "Surprise!" I got ready for school. She was, made my lunch. I made my bed, and I said to my wife, "I said, you know what? This is a behavior I like. Let's give it a lot of attention." So I went out there and I said, "Hey, your bread looks great. <laughs> you made your lunch." You got dressed. We didn't even have to ask you. And my wife laid it on pretty thick too. Well, guess what? She started doing it again. Mm -hmm. She started doing it again. And um, we kept giving it attention. Well, what would have been less effective was to wait until she didn't get up, didn't make her bed, didn't make her lunch and slept in. And then I could, if I would have just stormed in a room and said, can't believe how many times do I have to tell you to get up and get make your bed? What I'd actually be doing without realizing it would be, I would be making that behavior more likely to happen of sleeping in and doing that so so important there's so many negative things out there if you want negativity i mean goodness turn on the news for a little bit right exactly if you if you, if you can be the parent who's like oh, man i really appreciate how you're playing so calmly with johnny or i just really appreciate how how you made your bed that was great hey you you, you did a great job when you were did your assignment i could tell you put a lot of effort into learning that math problem or whatever it is that, recognizing that I would recommend that book to anybody. So again, it's the power of positive parenting by Glenn Latham. By the way, I don't make any money for referring that. I'm just telling you that <laughs> it's a great book. Yeah. Um, what? and, uh, um, the, the, the other premise, and I just want to say this briefly because it's important, you know, have you ever seen a parent who is burned out? They're like, man, my kid tantrums all the time. Well, one of the things that a lot of parents don't realize is that they're playing into that tantrum. Let me give you an example. The same premise of this book says if people are misbehaving, your children, they get to go to an area that is without reinforcement, without, without reward. So one of the best ways to do that is say, if you're going to tantrum, you get to be in a place where you get zero of mom and dad's attention, which is generally like a corner. Because what happens is when a kid tantrums, a lot of times these parents who have problems with tantrums, when the kids start tantruming, they're like, Hey, do you need a sucker? What can I do? I kind of embarrassed that you're embarrassing mom and dad there in the store and, yep. and they're getting tons of attention when you're out just when you behave like that, you get to sit by yourself in the corner. Don't not in a room with it like a video game or with a right. book. That's exactly. that's reinforcement. Just totally in a non-attention environment, which is like a corner. But the problem is, is if the kid keeps crying for like seven minutes and mom can't handle it, just like I can't let my baby cry for that long and goes over and gives him attention. All you've taught the kid. Is that when I cry for seven minutes, I'll finally get mom's attention. Yep. You have to wait till they burn out. So if you put them in the corner exactly. and it takes them 20 minutes to burn out, and then you go over and give them attention once they're acting nice, I'm like, well, I like it when you're acting calm. Isn't that nice? I love that. Not attention. But when they're acting like this, and if you do that, by the way, when you first start the treatment, it gets a little bit worse. <laughs> it's <laughs> it does. Extinction. It does. Um, but um, learning, like as a parent, if you're going to be the CEO, you got to take these, say, I'm going to learn. I'm right. going to do things like read a book about how to do it and try to find books for people who know what they're talking about. Yep. But I was grateful that my, that my, that my, uh, my brother recommended the power of positive parenting by Glenn Latham. I might recommend it to anybody who wants to, to change in a positive way yeah. and be a CEO of their children's education. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I've seen in some other research as well is part of what we need to do though is not just like we can do the positives we need and i would say most of us that's the message we need to hear because we're probably not doing it we're probably more bent towards punishing or focusing on the negative so we need that part but part of the whole is discipleship 
as in we do need to deal with those negative behaviors, but it's a, it's on the how. Right. When they get the attention in the middle of it, we just watered the, you know, the bad behavior. But if we have conversations yeah. later where we're talking about how, do you see how when you did that, that didn't work? But that's also, mm -hmm. do you really want to be that person? And you're helping them grow, mature, disciple them into a Christ follower, a better person, a stronger person, a better man, better woman, that we need to remember that that other side of that equation is also important too. But even just from what you said, that same here, I can so more easily focus on what they didn't do and miss what they did do right. And I need to be able to hear what you said and do more of the enforcing the good, celebrating the good. My son woke us up yesterday morning with his Jeep because it's really loud and obnoxious and um, 5.40 in the morning because he was heading to work. And so it was kind of cool to watch this. He did this this past summer working at a farm where he would get up that early and head to work. And it's like, there's a lot of adult men that cannot do what you're doing right now. Getting up on your own and heading to work because I was still in bed. I wasn't up. Um, that is so cool that you're actually at 16 that responsible. And Good so forcing and enforcing and enforcing that behavior. Well, and that's exactly right. And, and in this book, you know, he talks about this, this, there was this kid, and I hope I'm telling the story correctly. The kid was in a class um, and he was getting sent to the principal's office a lot of time. He was getting sent all the time and it becomes such a problem. They called in this counselor to, to, to observe and see what was happening. And, and they observed that the, 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 the kid was actually doing a lot of things right but getting zero attention for it. So, I mean, he was listening sometimes, he was doing some things, zero attention. But as soon as the, as soon as the kid did something wrong, the parents would say, oh, I, I mean, not the parents, the, the, the teacher would say, oh, you did, there you go again, write his name on the board. He'd do something else, he'd get a check mark. He'd do something else, he'd get another check mark. As soon as he had <laughs> enough check marks to go down to the principal's office. And here was the kicker, they take him down to the principal's office and the, and the, principal, the, the, the lady was like, well, I knew you'd be here again. And she sits him next to this window and it's about lunchtime and all these kids would come by and wave to him. And he'd, so he'd be waving. So he's getting a lot of attention from his friends, even yes. and peers. He's the guy, he's the bad kid. And it's kind of fun to get attention. And so it was, it, it's like, okay, this behavior is completely predictable. He, you're, you're giving zero attention for what the kid's doing. Right. Yep. But every time he does something wrong, he gets all kinds of attention. Mm -hmm. What if you were to catch people doing something right? And I even talk about this, you know, I, I I got to tell you, this principle has helped me so much in business. It's helped mm -hmm. me in um, with parenting, um, trying to just see. I mean, if you can be the kind of person who's just keyed into what people are doing right, it changes people, you know? Um, yeah. It, I, and I could tell you story after story, probably don't have time for it, but I'm saying the, the ways it's helped um, my business or, or, or in a sale or negotiation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it also works with children. You know what I'm saying? So you're right. Yeah. Obviously you've got to be able to talk about the consequences of, you know, when we make bad decisions, there's, 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 there's consequences, there's principles that govern or, you know, a consequences. Let's talk about them. Let's make sure we're trying to follow Jesus yeah. Christ. Let's, let's yeah. but also be the kind of person who's like, let's point out what you're doing. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and you're, you're a person that's in business. You have you in business for yourself. You work, you're a hard worker. But even the conversation that we've had today with 
with this podcast has been centered around you can be as successful as you want and could possibly be in business, but it means Jack Diddley. It means nothing if you're failing at home. The critical nature of marriage, of the family, of parenting, of the home, we are losing that. There's a fight against that in our culture right now. The value of the nuclear family, the value, and they act like, oh, it's a social construct. No, it is from the beginning. And it's always been and always has been a an ideal that when we try to reinvent it, it falls apart. One man, one woman, husband, wife, in marriage, for life, with children that are invested in those children. That's That's where we win, which then amplifies the wins on the outside when it comes to business and other things. There was a wise man, I think it was Neil Maxwell, that said something like this. He said, if we don't fix marriages and families, and I hope I'm probably misquoting it, so let me just disclaim right now. <laughs> Basically, everything else we do will be like straightening deck chairs on the Titanic. And let me tell you what I mean by this. So we may, you know, you can blame it on, say, politics and say, well, it's the their fault. It's the conservatives or it's the liberals or it's the Republicans or it's the Democrats or it's the... But the truth is, or, or we need more police or less police, or we need more um, social programs or less social programs. And, and there's those are valuable discussions. But the truth is, if we don't fix marriages and families, mm -hmm. if there's not enough good parents, there will never be enough policemen. Yep. One of the questions this guy said, if you don't have enough good families and parents, you're not going to be able to, to, to have the government fix it. Do yep. you see what I'm saying? We don't want to be straightening deck chairs on the Titanic. We want to be plugging the leak in the Titanic, which is strengthening marriages and families. If we can fix that, yeah. you're right. I, I don't believe it's a... Yeah. I live in Oregon, and that's near Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, which has been a lot of the center places of all the riots and a lot of this, the immaturity. And one of the things that I think about every time that we would hear about these riots, which are an hour away, is like... Every single one of those people throwing a chair through a window or feeling entitled was raised by somebody. And I'm like, this scares me. The, the, those kids who became young adults were created by somebody and raised by somebody. But what's missing? Love and affection and intentionality and reading to them and actually boundaries and ethics and morals and values. And a lot of the, the the studies show that a lot of the a lot of people who are in prison right now, frankly, didn't have effective, good keyed in dads. A lot of the, the dads Dad. were absent. Exactly, that's the key. We're so being a good dad, and I'm not saying anything to diminish moms, but the research shows that they're highly correlated with dads, which is no, you know, when you have a dad who can say, you know, at six years old or twelve years old or thirteen, we're going to treat people with respect. We protect others. We protect the vulnerable provide for a family they can look up to him and learn from a dad who's keyed in that's really really valuable and you're right when the dad's not present a lot of times that the the, the correlation of, of people in prison is very highly correlated with dads fathers dads are key. who are not who are not uh present in the home yeah and i wish i had the study for that but i've, I've when, heard it from multiple places and, and then single moms one of the things that i tell single moms is no you are not dad and mom you are just mom, which means you need to have a community around you where you have 
other dads, you know, maybe even your own uncles or your own dad, but other men investing in your kids. I love in our Boy Scout troop having single parents that join and we tell them, it's like your your son, you're you're entrusting your son to us. And mom, you're not invited in a sense of we only have dads on our on our campouts. It's only dads because we're under men's ministry and it's men mentoring sons. That's our model that we're following. And as a single parent, partner with people, the church, to me, that's an area that the church might need to step up on a lot more when it comes to ministering to single moms is providing those places. And I think they do in a lot of places through youth group and, and Awana and other, other tools, but the men that you put around those kids growing up will be a, a higher value than you realize to that single mom. Don't do it alone. You're not meant to do this alone. And the sad thing is, interesting thing is, is as you said, moms, you're important, but dads, you're actually probably more important to the to the future of that young man and young woman. Well, I think I think both are super important. Like, let, let me give you an example. I think as a man, I believe my job is to be a protector, a provider, and to preside in my home. In other words, to lead my home. Yeah. And I think my wife is better at nurturing than I am. She's awesome. She's good at nurturing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, I think both are important. But to discount, I think a lot of times people in our, in our society, they've discounted that we don't need the dads are just kind of not as important. Yeah. I think they're both very important. It's important for a child to have a dad and a mom and to be able to have both that nurturing and that um, res- learn um the importance of that. In fact, I, I, a lot of the social ills come because of that. Right. And I, I think there's a lot of moms who are putting in their, their as hard as they can. There's a lot of single moms who are trying their best to raise kids, but I think it's right. Have, you know, um, having, having that positive role model, male role model, that's a positive one. Mm-hmm. And that's where super, like sports, super. I love the movies that talk about, they join this team and that coach really brought out good stuff in these Sad thing is I don't hear that a lot in real life. I hear a lot of abuse that ends up happening among some in sports, but not only that, I see, I also hear some that it's that coach that believed in me. And ironically, it's usually that male coach that actually influenced me. One of the cool things about mother and father is it goes back to the original design. Men and women are different. I know our world acts like that's not true. We are different. And so I deal a lot with parents where I'm like, stop trying to make him parent like you or her parent like you. You are different people. So how can you be actually assets and you have strengths, you have strengths, but you also both have liabilities. And how can you be a team in your parenting? And I don't mean just the good, bad, good cop, bad cop kind of mentality, but there's things that he's going to see that she's not going to see. And there's things that she's going to see that he's not going to see. And there's uh, sensitivities that are different. God's design is perfect. So we need to lean into that design and actually help strengthen that design as in marriage, man and woman and a family. So then when that's broken, that's where I think the church and the scripture actually calls it out to, to, to take care of the widow and to be a part of, um, those that don't have, in a sense, the ideal. Right. I mean, 
to recruit, to visit the father was fatherless and widows in their affliction. That's part of uh, being a, a follower of Christ for sure. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, I have a huge passion for that. I, 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 I do believe and I'm passionate for um, just inspiring parents to, to realize that they have the ultimate career. Yep. I love that. If you're, if you're a parent, you have the ultimate career. You want to change the world? I think uh, I think it was um, uh, I can Mother Teresa. I think had the quote that said, "You want to change the world? Go home and love your family," or something similar to that. Um, uh, do do your very best to to be a good parent. It doesn't mean we're not going to mess up sometimes, but I think a lot of things. Um, a lot of things in our in our nation and our civilization would be better if we could take on that that idea that mm-hmm. we're responsible for as a as a parent for our kids' education and also just realize what an opportunity it is yeah. to shape and and influence people that we'll never meet because we're being a good parent or trying our best even if we have a bad day we're trying our best to to do what we can to be a good a good parent today. Love that. That's so important. So your website is xane.com. So E-K-S-A-Y-N.com. That's it. And what can they find there if they look you up? Well, if they were to go there, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if people would like to check out my book, that would be great. No, yeah. no pressure on that. It's <laughs> called what I want my children to know before I die. And uh, contains some things that I think would be helpful for my children. And, mm-hmm. You know, some parents may decide to to teach their kids slightly different things or totally different things. But the point is to to realize that that these children were were given in your stewardship. Yes. Do everything you can yes. to be a good parent yeah. and teach them what you what you know you need to do. What's your business book? I wrote a book called uh, The Key to the Gate, and it was uh, I was lucky a girl on Forbes, a writer on Forbes, uh, decided to write an article on it. Nice. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's about how to get to pass decision makers to the, to, to, excuse me, pass gatekeepers to the decision maker and, and, and make connections in business when you're trying to, to uh, get a product or a service in front of nice. somebody. And I remember uh, you saying that you did that and you got the notoriety in terms of Forbes. But one of the things you realized was my heart's more passionate about something different. Well, and it, it, yeah, it is. That's neat. I, I think love that. I would much rather whatever you and I, like I said at the beginning here, whatever you and I do in the business world, it's not going to last that long. It yeah. may last for a decade or two, if we're lucky, a little longer than that. But whatever we do in our own homes yeah. is going to last for for so much longer. It's going to go on, I think, forever. But we could even argue hundreds of years. Um, well, it's going to have a massive Jesus returns. Yep. Yeah, till Jesus returns. Well, Exane, it's so great talking with you and so great getting to know you a little bit, some of your story. And this has been a very valuable conversation. I hope it's encouraging to those listening and they can find out more about you at, again, exane.com, E-K-S-A-Y-N.com. And the link will be in the show notes. And so thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate you having me on your, on your show today. Honored, honored. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Family Features Podcast. It's been an honor to serve. 
If you're struggling in a need, Dr. Gilbert provides a free consultation for new clients. Check out his website at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages touched, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more help and resources, check out Dr. Gilbert's website for books, courses, and more trainings at healinglives.com. Bless you and your family and all God wants to do in and through you. Remember, your marriage and family are worth fighting for. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert. See you next time.